entering the Freedom Hut. It's time for a panic shutdown. We need to get answers on election interference and soon limited stay at home orders in Cali and how to prepare for a worthwhile Thanksgiving. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Why does the media want you to be constantly afraid? Ask yourself that question. There are very important answers that will come to mind. Why do they want you terrified now of everything they're telling you about? Just look at the dominant news stories. Look at what's in the headlines. You have the election that's over and Trump won't accept the results and everyone's supposed to be completely freaked out about this. But if you if you dig into it a little bit, if you look at what's going on, states haven't even certified their elections yet. There's nothing that's illegal, nothing that's outside of the established process. This is playing out. The system is, in fact, working as it was designed to at every stage. Now, this is a very complicated system. There's a lot of variables, a lot of things that can happen. And yes, things can go wrong, but there are provisions made for that. Those who are telling you that democracy itself is under threat, those who are doing everything they can to humiliate and and undermine anyone who just wants answers here. Let's see what evidence is there. Let's read these affidavits about voter fraud. The people that want to shut all of that, all of that down are doing so for a reason. And we know who they are. We know what they want, who they support. And it's not Donald Trump. Now look at covid stories of people talking about how hospitals are about to get overwhelmed. You've got these uh, Joe Biden advisors out there discussing long term shutdowns. All of this is happening right now. And we've been here before. We know what's true at some level and what's not. We understand the limitations of some of these policies they're implementing. And in some cases, There's no upside. There's only downside. But they want you to believe that within two to three weeks, hospitals will be overwhelmed this time. There were no hospitals that turned away patients. There was nobody who didn't have a ventilator. Just think back to March and April in this country in the worst hit regions of the U.S. It didn't get to the point that they said it would, but there was panic. Well, what what I'm telling you right now is we need a panic shutdown. People need to stop trying to terrify everybody. And, you, and that's the real threat as I see it. Because when you're, when you're completely unnerved, when you're operating under this cloud of constant anxiety, which the media and the Democrats and the anti-Trumpsters are just, just feeding on right now, and the lockdowners and the, and the mask shamers, when you have to make decisions with that going on all around you, As an individual, and yes, as a society, you don't make very smart ones. You don't make very good ones. And I think that's really, at some level, the point. They want you worried. They want you concerned. And yes, some of them have, I I think, brainwashed themselves. I do believe there are people in the media, perhaps many of them, who really think that Trump is a threat to our democracy, who really believe that 
by taking this to court and having lawyers uh, present judges with affidavits and other evidence and look at the numbers and, and ask for recounts that this is, you know, exactly what Stalin would have done. Pol Pot right out of his playbook. I mean, this is insane what, what you're hearing about this. The claims that are being made all the time about just what Trump is is doing are false. And, you know, they're false. And because of the environment, uh, because of the environment, you have people that don't care what the costs are to the bad decision making, as long as it serves the political purpose. School shutdown is probably the best example of this I can point to. With the school shutdown, there's no way to justify this based on the numbers, based on what we've seen. But they had to do what they thought before to make sure that the country did not feel like it was normalizing, that we were getting through the pandemic. It was useful against Trump. So they figure let's do it again because that was our position. And no one wants to admit that they were wrong. No one wants to admit who's making decisions about keeping schools closed that they never should have done this. And if they were to change course now, it would be an admission of that. On the voter fraud issue, right, you've got both of these. There's such a such a fixation with exaggeration, so much intensity around getting people to stop asking the questions, give up, concede, bend the knee. Eventually, they may get what they want in terms of a Biden victory. That's possible. And if the votes show that, that's where we are. Friends, it's a pandemic year. Things are crazy. I know Donald Trump did a great job as president, but, you know, it, unfortunately, the media is entirely against him. And we got a once in a century pandemic happening. It's possible. It's possible that when all the votes are counted and it's all done, he is not the president of the United States. And yes, there might be a lot of fraud. There might there. There certainly are a lot of irregularities. There's all that stuff in there, too. But if we can't prove it, we operate within a system that says this is where we are. We don't have an alternative unless we want to blow up the whole system, which is what liberals do. That's what the left does. They don't get their way. They threaten the whole thing. If we don't get the desired outcome here after we've exhausted all options in court, after we've gone through all of this, it is incumbent upon us to say, all right, fine, let's focus on those Georgia Senate runoff races and let's continue to push the ideas Let's let's push the political movement that Donald Trump started of a conservative populism that fights for what it believes in. None of that changes. But here we are. It's going into the holidays. The media is going to have less and less that they're reporting on, because, as you know, media is a narrative. It's a construct from people that make a living doing just that. They come up with what they think you should hear. They think you should know. Uh, The one thing you'll see a continuation of here is to keep the pressure on, to keep the pressure on Trump and the recount efforts and the the legal challenges and to keep pressure on uh, everybody to think that covid is completely beyond our control unless you just abandon all of your liberties, unless, unless you give up whatever whatever rights you're supposed to have under the Constitution, you have to say, sorry, 
doesn't count right now because Governor Cuomo or Governor Newsom have better ideas. Governor Whitmer, Governor Murphy, you know, Governor Wolf, go down the list. They they know better. So we'll just allow them to completely overreach and to make these dictatorial moves. Or else the hospitals will over will overflow, they tell you, or else everyone around you could die. This is what they say. It's not true. It's not true, but there is a pandemic of panic out there, and there are a lot of people who are pushing it. They do so to control you. They do so because it allows them to monetize your fear. Every time there's a news story that's some other thing that could be terrible about COVID, that, you know, new study says that COVID may actually turn your entire head into a potato. And everyone, cl- oh my gosh, I don't want to be a potato. And they all click. And then, eh, it turns out some guy who's kind of crazy thinks he had COVID and said, he t- you know, you click on it and the story's nothing, but you clicked on it. And there's no accountability for this anymore. The biggest news organizations in the country, in the world, do this on a regular basis. So they're making money off of your fear. They're controlling you through their through your fear. And they're also mobilizing their own side by creating false fear in them. That what they're telling people is true. And they sit above all of this like puppet masters. Turning us against each other, making people go making people go into this Thanksgiving scared of their family members. Scared of spending time with loved ones. For what? Well, I told you why they do it. But understand the motivations, and then it becomes a lot easier to ignore the hysteria. Look at this for yourself. This is a time in America where the ability to think for yourself, to come to your own conclusions based on information that you have verified, that you know is accurate, it's more important than ever. Because there is so much out there there's so much propagandizing going on and unlike in previous eras it follows you everywhere you carry it with you you carry the surveillance and propaganda machine that big tech has made to keep your mind stuck in this matrix of panic and fear so you have to find a way to break out from that and yes i think listening to a show like this one is a step in that direction a big one because I actually get to tell you what I think is true, and I don't answer to anybody. I answer to you, the audience. That's it. There's no one who ever tells me what to say, no one who ever tells me what to think. And I wouldn't take a job where that was the case. And so here I am trying to tell you, please, please, block out the nonsense. We can go through this process. There's nothing. The system is not broken because Trump And his lawyers are looking for answers. He's not a tyrant. They're not going to have to pry him with a crowbar out of the White House. This is all crap. It's all lies. It's nonsense. But they're going to keep saying it. They're going to keep saying it. They're hoping to wear you down. They're hoping to wear us down so that we don't support the quest for answers. And I tell you this. It's a quest that may be unsuccessful. I do not overpromise here. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. You know, we still check. We should still know important for this election and critical for the next election. And then on top of that. We have. This pandemic that is, yes, still infecting people. And yes, it is still dangerous, especially people in certain age group. But they don't want you to see 
what the real numbers are and what's really happening all around you. They want to run the same playbook of, oh, my gosh, everybody hide. Don't leave your home. Do what the experts say. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this. One of them, though, is that's what they told you the last time. Can you imagine if you just said, you know what? I'm going to enjoy my life more now. I'm going to go for walks without a mask on. Oh, my gosh, outside without a mask. I'm going to see my loved ones. If I have symptoms, if any of us are sick, we will we will stay away. We'll quarantine. But if no one has any symptoms, we're willing to take that risk. Unless you have an, a, rel- a relative who's particularly you know, elderly and immunocompromised. And that's a decision that you should make as individuals, not that the government should be making for you. Uh, if you do that, if you live your life and you are able to have greater joy and more important memories because you've ignored the so-called experts in the media, then that's a step in breaking their control over you. Then that's a step in removing that constant cloud of fear in separating from those mechanisms that they use like we're all a bunch of lab rats and they want us to go a certain direction in the maze. Break yourself away from this. We will get through this election recount. We will get through this pandemic. We're going to be okay, but you don't have to let them control you. You don't have to let them brainwash you in order to get there. In fact, it only makes everything worse. Fight back against this. Establish your own individual freedom, your own individual limits. Don't let them do what they want to do to you right now. Don't fall victim to this pandemic of panic that the media is trying to jam down your throat every chance they get. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What do I mean by panic? What do I mean by losing your mind, exaggerating, and no longer having any grip on reality because of the left-wing narrative? There are so many examples of it out there. And perhaps the, the best one right now is the utterly deranged but somehow amusing because he's so crazy, Keith Olbermann, play two. But history will also ask what was in the hearts of the men and women who continued to support this creature Trump after his defeat, after his repudiation, after the national wildfire that was COVID-19, accelerated into this hellscape of conflagration in the days after the 2020 election. Who let Trump continue to run the pandemic fight into the ground? Who let Trump stay manifestly insane as he is in office? Who refused to risk anything, refused to risk even a momentary loss of power to instead be certain that death ruled this nation? Who were these people? Did you put them on trial? Did any of them go to prison? What did you do to Trump after it was clear that he knew what was ahead and lied and lied and lied and lied and lied? What did you do to make sure that no leader could ever commit this treason again. Treason not against the country. Treason against humanity. Treason against humanity. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, li- I'm actually sitting here. Great. This guy is a total loon. Remember, he was MSNBC's biggest draw for years. They were paying this guy millions of dollars a year. He's a total lunatic. He sits there w- with a with a thesaurus. Oh, and then bringing together the, the myriad of... of all the big words that I can throw into one monologue so that I can sound like somebody who's very intelligent. 
What a what a total joke. But this is what this is what happens. This is what you get. Treason against humanity. Maybe I should just do a show like that. Just do a show as Keith Oberman one day. Well, I don't understand what's going on. Or if I if I change my voice and I sound very <laughs> He's great. He does. It's whatever, man. He calls me sex text bump or whatever, which I got to say that would people always, you know, ask me what my stage name would be. It's already Buck. Buck Sexton is my name. And you all know this. People go, oh, is it your real name? As if that's some kind of attack. My middle name is Buckman. Everyone has called me Buck since I was a baby. That's all that is. It's always been Buck. But uh, tech sex bump would be would be a good stage name, actually. If we're really going to go there. So I'd have to work on my dance moves, though, producer Mark. For what I'm, industry is that a good name? Uh, my stage name. Yeah, w- what stage? I don't know. Let's just say Broadway, because there could be kids listening. So, all right. And uh, now, oh, oh, more panic. More, more. Oh, my gosh. Let's just say the craziest stuff about Trump possible. This is what they're doing. Play three. All those people who now have the virus, who don't make it from now until January 20th, this blood is on his hands because this isn't like he's sitting around thinking, how can I help? He's sitting around doing nothing. He's doing nothing. And he knows what he needs to do. And he's not doing it. And neither are these Republicans. And I I just I don't know when America turned into this particular version of America. But I got to tell you, I don't like it. He's doing nothing. I've never seen a president that didn't care whether people lived or died. I mean, they say these horrible things about him. What what about the vaccine that has 95 percent efficiency or or, uh, effectiveness that we only have because the federal government backstopped them and said, we'll pay for the vaccine, make your best stuff, and we will pay for you to make it now. We'll cover We'll cover you. W- what about that? Oh, no, he's done nothing, though. What does Whoopi Goldberg, renowned critical thinker and epidemiologist, what does she think the president's supposed to do? There are state-by-state lockdowns going in everywhere, and they're not going to do a damn thing. So what is Trump supposed to do exactly? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The answer was I would follow the science. I am not going to shut down the economy, period. I'm going to shut down the virus. That's what I'm going to shut down. So that's I'll say it again. No national shutdown. No national shutdown. Because every region, every area, every community is can be different. And so there's no circumstance which I can see would require a total national shutdown. I think that would be counterproductive. Well, that's good to hear, but he still wants a national mask mandate, which is also nonsense. Why is that going to be better than what we have now? What, what, where is the national mask mandate going to? What, what's that going to affect? What state that doesn't have a mask mandate is going to be so much better off with the national, a federal mask mandate, never mind the constitutional issues that obviously come to mind here. Under what authority would the federal government say you have to wear a mask all the time? If the federal government can say you have to wear a mask all the time, the federal government can also tell you that you can only wear, you know, blue shirts on Tuesdays because they say so. There's, there's no authority for this. There, there's no basis for this. People say, oh, but quarantine powers. Quarantine is for the sick. This is for everybody. We, we have transformed our understanding of public health policy this year in terrible ways. 
now completely, uh, completely healthy people who are 99 percent of the people in the country right now, even with covid surging, have to do all these things because the government says so, because they're now saying that the risk is too great. But he's not going to shut down the economy. He's going to shut down the virus. This is this is a, a promise that only a moron could make. How is he going to shut down the virus? He has nothing to say about this. They don't have some secret plan. This is the part of this. There's all this hysteria. You heard it from Whoopi Goldberg before. Trump doesn't care about people dying. Olbermann wants him in prison for crimes against humanity or whatever. You have all this hysteria, right? The panic that I keep talking about. And then you get these very flimsy talking points from the left about what they think should be done here. They have no answer. What, more harassment of people for having too many at a, at, a, at a Thanksgiving gathering? More harassment of people because they are uh, involved in doing the normal things that human beings do around the holidays? They, they think that's going to shut down the virus? I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shut down the virus. Really? How? We never, we never get the how. We just got... More of the same. And, and they're actually the things they say that are intelligent or that make sense. The things that Democrats say, you go, OK, well, that's not crazy because there are things like Biden saying, I'm not going to shut down the whole country. OK, well, that's that's at least some concession to not being completely bonkers. But here, here's Vice President Pence talking about the same thing. Play 11. But that being said, President Trump wanted me to make it clear that uh, our task force this administration and our president does not support another national lockdown, and we do not support closing schools. Now, you'll hear from Dr. Robert Redfield of the CDC that uh, actually the CDC never recommended that we close schools at any point this year. Now, a couple of things here. One, notice, notice that Redfield, I mean, sorry, notice that Pence here is telling you uh, that they, they don't want a national shutdown, that that's not a good idea. And that's exactly what Biden says. So what is the thing that what is the thing that Trump is supposed to do that he's not doing? That the Trump administration is is uh, derelict on. We never hear it. They, they never come up with what it is. OK, beyond that. Talks about schools. Here in New York City, where I'm doing this show, schools are shut down, public schools. Now, private schools and parochial schools have stayed open, and they're fine. But public schools are shut down. We are lectured all the time by people who are, the, who are really the, the um, primary purveyors of the most extreme lockdowns and masks and all the rest of it, Right. We're lectured by them about how they have to listen to the science. But they have always, at every phase of this, been picking and choosing what science they listen to. And I don't even mean on areas where there's disagreement. I mean, they just ignore things. They just ignore. There is no basis, sci- there's no basis in science, in data, to believe that mask wearing outdoors, for example, is necessary. It does not exist. If it did, trust me, you would know about it. It doesn't exist. No basis for it. There's no basis to believe that any substantial transmission of this happens outside. So if we're talking about acceptable risk, almost no risk 
would inherently be acceptable risk, right? When you have almost no risk of getting it outside, then that's acceptable. Stop wearing a mask outside. In New York City right now, if I went out on the street, 90% of people outdoors by themselves, masks on. Why? Because. And the people who say, oh, it's because it's more convenient. Well, then pull, well, then why when they walk around with the mask on but pulled down? And then when they go inside, they just pull it on. It's obviously more comfortable. Okay, No one likes breathing through these idiotic face diapers. No one enjoys it. At least not that I know of. But with schools, the CDC never said shut down schools. Now, I argue with the CDC about other stuff. I understand that. But the way the left plays the game, anything that the CDC says that they like cannot be argued. It's science. And then when the CDC says things that the teachers unions, which is all this is about, that the teachers unions don't like, it gets ignored. It's, it's like it didn't happen. Well, that seems, seems quite a bit contradictory, doesn't it? It seems like that's not the way you would approach something if it was really all about the science. Here's the CDC director. Now, granted, he's a guy who said that face masks are even better for protecting you than a vaccine, which was a, a, an irresponsible and indefensibly stupid thing to say. It, it is. We all know it. It is. Okay. But he is the CDC director, and we have a lot of data on schools globally as well as here in the United States. And here's what he's telling you about whether schools should be open. Play 10. Using the data to make decisions in their communities, particularly as relates to uh, K-12s and institutes of higher learning, uh, these clearly, the data support that it's really important from a public health perspective, both from the pandemic as well as what uh, we'll, you'll hear about in a minute, that these schools stay open. They should all be open. There is no good reason for them to be closed. There's no excuse for them to be closed. This is, honestly, it is outrageous. This should not be happening, but it is happening, and it's happening because there are powerful interests known as teachers unions that are essential for the Democrat Party who have decided that they like being able to hold cities like New York, as well as other places, hostage by pretending they're all so terrified of covid that they can't actually go in and teach kids. So your grocery store clerk, your local you know, pharmacy worker shows up, does their job and God bless them for doing it. But your teacher in the public school system, too scary to be around the kids. When kids, as we know, we have the data, very, they're at effectively no risk, but they're also very unlikely to spread it to adults. Probably because their immune system handles it very well, so they don't become major, uh, major vectors of viral spread. Right? Even if they do get an infection, their body handles it very well. The young immune system does very well against COVID. Thank God, right? Could you imagine? I don't even want to tell you what it was like. The Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, in the second wave, it was remarkably deadly. I mean, horrifically deadly in a very fast period of time for people in, from 20 to 40. So, you know, and at that time, people had a shorter lifespan. So that was really, those are your primary caregivers for children. Those are the people that are prime working age. And you'd think there'd be, and they were, they were dropping all over the place. 
And it was very rapid, too. It was not what you see here with COVID, where it's a weeks of progression and you fight it and you got a shot. It would be people were dying in days after getting it. So we're in a far better position with this than we were with that. I mean, really, they're not comparable diseases in terms of lethality. And they're just they're not. Um, Part of that is because we have better treatment and everything else. But if you read about the Spanish flu of of 1918, especially in in the second wave that hit, Uh, It's terrifying. It's truly terrifying. So here we are with all the information we need to know that schools are fine. Schools should be open. Why isn't the media demanding schools open? Because the media is run by Democrats and Democrats all know they need teachers unions and your mainstream media outlets will not cross teachers unions because that's their team. That's why. There's no other reason. There's no other good explanation for why schools are shut down with the tremendous damage this is doing to kids, their development, their learning, to the parents who have to care for them. And the Newsoms and the Cuomos and the Pelosi's, they don't give a crap. They don't care. In fact, they'd rather just be the great science-believing fighters of COVID with their public policy They'd rather play that game in their heads than deal with the reality of the fact that the panic they've created around this has resulted in these nonsensical and destructive school lockdowns. That's really where we are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, I understand why it's confusing. They're like... Okay, you said masks work, and I'm doing them here, and these spaces are safe, and you're closing my space and leaving open the spaces where people are on masks. And I think that's very, I worry about that, because then it gives people the option to say, well, if bars and restaurants are open, then I can have 20 people over for Thanksgiving. And so I don't like it to be any number. I like it to be keep it to your immediate household. Because, you know, if you say it can be 10 and it's eight people from four different families, then that probably is not the same degree of safe as 10 people from your immediate household. Understand that 10 people from your immediate household is all there's no degree of safe because one person who went to the grocery store or who went to a restaurant or who whatever comes home. And and the most likely place you get this, as we all know, is within the same household. So the different household thing, it doesn't really work the way she's proposing it. It's all about the odds, friends. This is all about understanding what the risks are as a percentage. No one has perfect answers about any of this. But that's Dr. Burks, who you're hearing a lot less from these days. And she's out there telling everybody, well, now it should be your immediate household. This is a, a really, a, I guess you could say, a teachable moment. This is a classic moment. Because what you're seeing is that government overreach will always result if we allow it, unless we say enough, that's overreach. Government overreach will result in more overreach. There's a snow. There's a snowball effect. Right. What they do, they say, we're going to make this unsupported, unconstitutional, scientifically unsupported, unconstitutional demand of you. And then what happens is people will say, hold on a second. That doesn't even work because it's not supported by the science. 
that's very arbitrary. You're making arbitrary dictates and saying that we have to obey them. So then what they'll do is instead of instead of coming back to you, this is just the nature of government. This is how it functions. They're not going to say, you know what, you're right. We shouldn't be making that arbitrary decision for you. They'll say, huh, let's change. Let's do another. You're okay. fine. It's not good enough. Let's tighten the screws a little more. Let's have another arbitrary decision imposed on you by the government. So it was, you know, we want you to to stay at home with a certain number of people. You're right. That doesn't really make sense. So let's now say it's only people that live with you. You should have Thanksgiving with. Now, that's just her opinion. I understand. But this is the way those opinions, as we know from individuals like Dr. Burks, become laws. They become regulations. And this is how you get to the absurdity of the mask up between bites in California. Right. Well, we want people. We know the restaurant industry is getting really badly hurt and we say masks work. So we'll let you be in a restaurant. You'll work in a restaurant as long as they're wearing a mask while you work. But to sit and eat, you got to pull a mask down. So you're right. That doesn't really make sense. So let's tell people to start masking up in between bites. Right. That's what I mean. It, it always results in more government overreach because it's not in the nature of a system like this. It's not in the nature of other bureaucracy or just the functionings of a government entity to think we shouldn't have been doing the thing we did didn't work. We shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. So we're just going to step back from that. That can only happen if the people push. Otherwise, the government action is always more government, uh, more government action. That's their response. And that's all over the place with the covid lockdowns and everything else right you see this okay lockdowns didn't work you know what we need lockdowns didn't work we need more severe lockdowns find me an area and i'll I'll show you how this applies right find me a place where they've done things that were not supported by the science that were just dictated by government officials and you know in the past and i will present you with oh and now here's their new version of this with even more arbitrary rules with even more tinkering around the edges. Uh, and, and this, as I keep saying, this only stops when we finally say we're just not going to do this anymore. We're not going to accept these kinds of rules. Or, or you can listen to people like this, this nurse who's telling you, do everything that I say or else you're going to have a tube down your throat. Play seven. Yes, we're frontline here in the hospital, but the real frontline is on the streets, in the grocery stores. Wash your hands, wear your mask, stay away. I promise that the little bit of time and the little bit of effort it takes outside of here is worth it. Because once you're here, wearing a mask is better than having a tube down your throat. I promise. Now, I understand she's a nurse and she's clearly distraught. And um, I feel badly that she's so terrified of this and she's seeing patients who are dealing with it. She's seeing patients who are dying. Um, I'm also here to just say, as a human being with a brain who has seen what has gone on for nine months now, you can wash your hands, you can wear your mask, you can do that all day long and still get sick. So the constant hectoring of, you know, do this, do this and you'll be fine. Do this and you'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. They can keep saying it. It's just not true. They can keep making the claim doesn't change the facts. So remember that as we go forward here, Uh, they will not admit where they were wrong and where we allow them to continue to be wrong. They will only get more wrong. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
You haven't really seen it yet, but you will. Especially if there is a Biden administration. You'll see the way that COVID-19 and the government powers that have been uh, taken here are used for things that have nothing to do with COVID. It's going to happen. We have now conceded that just because they say so, governors, for example, can uh, can tell you where you can travel, who you can see, what you can do, what business you can open, that you have to constrict your breathing. You have to interfere with the most natural, necessary thing you do every day. Breathing is first. The first thing you do all every day when you wake up, you are breathing. If you are not, you are dead. They will interfere with the most basic biological process you have with this with a pen and a phone, with a, a, a declaration from on high. You don't think that that has an effect on where society is going and how much control they think they can exert over the rest of us? Oh, my friends, it absolutely does. And Joe Biden is already starting to say things that lets you understand just where this is going to be used, how this will be deployed. Play clip 12. But the purpose here is to get we talked a lot about with the governors about what the immediate needs are. I'm going to we're going to impose the we're going to enforce the excuse me, employ the Defense uh, Reconstructed Act to be able to go out there and dictate companies build and do following things. We need much more testing. We need much more masking. We need more. We need gloves. We're, we're going to use a, you know, yeah, I mean, I know it's Biden just kind of using a whole jumble here. You, you think that they're going to stop at just stuff that has to do. You, you, he's going to use the Defense Production Act, he says. You think that stops at COVID? These, these people, the Democrats, claim that climate change, for example, is an existential threat to humanity. Now, a normal, reasonable person doesn't think, oh, they can leverage the Defense Production Act to create, you know, windmills or green jobs or whatever it is that they're talking about. But Democrats are not normal in that regard. They believe that it's an existential threat and therefore it does fall under national security, uh, national security auspices. And, and they can use something like the Defense Production Act to pursue the crazy Green New Deal policies. And this stuff with covid, you know, we, we need more masks. We need more testing. They've been saying that all along. That has not changed anything, right? We were told we didn't have enough, you know, we were told we didn't have enough um, ventilators. And then we found out we didn't even need the ventilators. We were told that we were running out of PPE. And now everywhere I go, they're, pra- they're, they're actually giving out masks a lot of stores and places I go. They're actually giving you free masks. Here you go, take a mask. You know, I remember when we used to give out breath mints at places. Now they're giving you masks to prevent uh, the spread of an aerosolized disease. But that's where we are. This is what the situation the country is in right now. But they're going to use this stuff for a whole lot. And you need to be aware of that right now. Because this is unprecedented in my lifetime. I don't know if the country's ever been through something quite like this before. Where they've been able to anesthetize us enough with fear, but also with delicious food 
entertainment options, you know, the internet, all this stuff. If we lived in a pre-internet era and people were just told to stay in their homes and they couldn't communicate and escape into all these different entertainment venues and everything from their homes, I think this would all be, if we couldn't do your job from home, think about that. Imagine if we didn't have all these technologies that allow for virtual meeting and everything else, the lockdown wouldn't have lasted a month. But in a sense, technology has also, while it has enabled us to be far more comfortable and more uh, capable during these lockdowns, it also has been a necessary condition for them. You really think if you were stuck in a home where all there was, let's say, was a black and white TV with with four channels or three channels or whatever it was, and you barely could get in touch with anybody via phone and you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't see anyone and you couldn't go to your job and you couldn't do your work from home. How long do you think that would last in society? So because of the technological changes, people are much more accepting of this than they would otherwise be. My concern, though, is that everyone now just kind of has this fatalism about, well, if the government says they've got a really good reason, if the government says that they have a real need to shut down the Bill of Rights, who am I to who am I to tell them no? Who am I to stand in their way? And as you know, the answer is you're everybody. You're in you're in an absolute position to stand in the government's way over these things. If, if not you, there won't be anyone. If we, the people, don't speak out against this, if we don't decide that what they've been doing is crossing boundaries that they have no right to cross, they're just going to keep going. They're not going to stop. And I think this was unfortunately something that took too long for a lot of a lot of conservatives to come to this conclusion I, I didn't see it at first. I thought, and, and this was a, a mirror imaging fallacy, I thought the Democrats would do, if I were Biden, what I would do coming to office is try to get everybody back to normal life and prosperity and get that vaccine out as fast as possible and then just the, and be the guy who's almost the great liberator from COVID. That's not going to be the Democrat approach. They're going to use 2021 the way that Obama used 2009 after the financial crisis, which was what can I do now? How can I exploit the crisis and a terrified and beaten down population to achieve the policy design ends that I want? That's what the Biden team is coming in and that's what they want to do, which is why I know the left is complaining right now about how they think that Biden's not doing, you know, Biden won't do enough that they want and just wait. Just wait. They'll find their way into the upper reaches of this administration, assuming there's a Biden administration, and they'll be making all kinds of decisions that you're not really allowed to fight against, because if you are, uh, if you do so, you are making it impossible for us to protect people from covid. You are standing in the way of science. All of these All of these slogans will be deployed for things that have nothing to do with COVID. Get ready for that. This is the mobilized, it's the Alinskyite mobilization of a population around one issue that can then be used to deal with any issue. Dr. Fauci's out there these days. He's still, you know, maybe he's going to be with the Biden administration if they come in. He's going to be talking to them about the stuff. How can I help Joe Biden? You know, I like him more than Trump because, you know, he's a, He's a Democrat like I am, a big lib. You know, we all know Fauci's a big lib. 
And he says this about where we are with the vaccine. I, I wanted to share some thoughts about it. Play nine. And I hear a lot now when we made these announcements this past Monday and then two Mondays ago about some reticence of people. Well, did you rush this? Was this too fast? Is it really safe? And is it really efficacious? The process of the speed did not compromise at all safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. It was a reflection of the extraordinary scientific advances in these types of vaccines, which allowed us to do things in months that actually took years before. So I really want to settle that concern that people have about that. Where was that very straightforward Fauci on the vaccines a couple of months ago? Did, did he ever call out Kamala Harris and Joe Biden for straight up undermining our, our sense that the vaccine was was going to be uh, safe, which is what they were doing. Can't trust a vaccine. They were even asked, you know, would you trust a vaccine or Trump? I trust the scientists, Biden says, but I can't trust Trump. Well, Trump's not in a lab with a beaker and a Bunsen burner saying, I'm developing the very best vaccine. No, that's not what was happening. We all know it. So what exactly was the was the reason that Fauci was was MIA on this? Wouldn't it have been helpful to have this this uh, this guy who's become the chief voice of of the, really the lockdowners and, and the panic mongers? But wouldn't wouldn't it be good to have that guy come out and say, hey, everybody, take this vaccine. In fact, Rand Paul is also a doctor. People forget that MD. Uh, Rand Paul is saying that he thinks people should be able to get the vaccine like tomorrow. I mean, the FDA, they say, is, is about to is about to clear one of them. But. You know, we're hearing all about this delay and all this other stuff. If, if you want to take a vaccine that is currently there should be something that you can just sort of sign that says, look, I, I'm not worried about this anymore. I want to just take it. I want to do it. So much of the slowdown in this process comes from liability, from the basically the ever present blood sucking from society that the trial lawyers, unfortunately, are responsible for that. That's that never really gets talked about enough because the trial lawyers are very powerful, big lobbyists, very, very important demographic for a very important um, uh, special interest for the Democrat Party. But it's this is another reason why businesses have to do all these stupid mandates, because if they don't do stuff that's suggested by the state or that's demanded by the state, all someone has to do is get COVID and then they come and they sue. They say, well, you don't require masks, so I'm suing you, right? Same problem we have with vaccines. We have to be super duper duper sure that they're safe for basically everybody or else there are going to be lawsuits around this. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, if, if I were over 60 and I had the opportunity to take this vaccine and, you know, jab it into my arm or my butt or wherever, it, you know, wherever you need to do it, I think it's the arm probably. I don't know. If, I don't really feel like they do shots in the butt anymore but wherever you got to jab it you know um then then i would do it absolutely without without question i would take it i know some of you have your concerns and everything else you should have that freedom to make your choice but i would take it if i were in a high risk category i would not not even blink and i would take it um so i think people should be able to take it even more easily even more quickly I'm sitting here wondering, we keep hearing it's going to take all this time to distribute this. If we get this vaccine out to 
you know, a large percentage of people who are basically retirement age, right? So let's say 65 and older. If we get this out within a month, we've got 20 or 30 million seniors who have been, been inoculated. The death rate from COVID the following month is going to drop like a stone in water. And that's really what we're concerned about. I know there's this stuff about, oh, long COVID and people get all terrified about these news stories they read. It's really whether people make it through this virus uh, without, you know, without losing their lives. That's our primary concern. And if you inoculate senior citizens, you're in a great position to watch the death, the death rate just completely almost almost evaporate very few people in their 30s and 40s and 50s die from very very few so even if we just get it to the most vulnerable we get it to seniors there'll be tremendous benefit that comes from that and i'm sitting here just saying i mean look i I've, i talked to a guy from warp speed a doctor interviewed him a couple of weeks ago about what's going on i don't understand we're, we're waiting what are we still waiting for why are we still waiting? Why isn't this vaccine, you know, this weekend in drugstores across the country or, or at least in distribution centers the federal government set up? Let's go. There's no benefit to waiting at this point. It does feel a little bit. I know we've, we're supposed to be so thankful that we've gotten to this point, but I'm telling you, it's legal stuff. That's the it's it's fear of lawsuits. They got to do this. They got to do that. They got to do all these little final things when really people are dying. We should be getting this vaccine to them as soon as possible. Days count. Why isn't it being distributed right away? That, that's my feeling on this. So I, I would take it to an even more radical place. I agree with Rand Paul. You should be able to sign a waiver that's like, just give me the vaccine tomorrow. I, I don't wait for any more of this approval crap. It obviously works. Give me the vaccine. That's what I would do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. No, I'm not concerned. The vast majority of the American people, they've already all the polling data is indicated, although the Republicans who worry about it is higher. But the over 78 percent of the American people believe it's without question, it's legitimate. Um, and uh, I, I just think it's uh, and I think most of the Republicans I've spoken to, including some of the governors, think this is debilitating. It's not a it sends a horrible message about who we are as a country. You know, I really don't need to have any lectures from Democrats who've been telling us that Trump was a traitor for the Russians. Total fantasy, total bull. I really don't need to have them tell us about how how it looks bad for us as a country. Just, you know, enough, enough with that nonsense. It's so pathetic. It's so transparent. And it's just another pressure mechanism to get people to drop the quest to get the investigation to get real answers about different aspects of voter irregularity and voter fraud. Let's see. Let's see. They just did their own version of not accepting the results and doing a special counsel. They wanted to throw people. They did throw people in prison. The Democrats had people thrown in prison because they didn't like the 2016 election. That's what happened. And they dragged the country through this nonsense nightmare of Russia collusion, and everything else. And now they want to lecture us about, oh, this is not a good look. You know, this is not really This is not the America I know and love. Shut up, Joe Biden. Oh, really? This guy's going to be president. I don't care that he's president. The guy's just he's such a loser. 
it's so sad. This is the best the Democrats could do. They put this guy, he's just a been there forever, interchangeable with a hundred other politicians, loser. Speaking of which, we always can count on our side to help their side in some cases. There's always going to be some people, always have some Republicans who decide that they're going to take a swipe at the Republican Party because they really want that pat on the head from the New York Times. You know, they want the Democrats to just to like them. They can't help it. They want Democrats. They just they, they want to be one of the. Yeah, they don't agree with them and everything, but they want to be one of the good ones. And, you know, who's really a perfect example of this? Maybe the quintessential example of this right now. Good old Willard Mitt Romney play 19. I'm surprised that, that there's many people, as you say, that give it credibility, even within our own country, um, because the president said before the election that if he were to lose, it would be because of voter fraud, it would be because of corruption. Uh, and then on uh, a day or two after the election, when the vote was called by the major networks, uh, he indicated that there was massive fraud and that he had been robbed uh, of the victory. Uh, and that was before there was any evidence that had been gathered. So it, it's one thing to charge a crime uh, before you actually see any evidence. Normally you find evidence, and then after seeing evidence, then you reach a conclusion about whether or not there was a crime committed. But, but I, you know, I, I understand the president is not happy with the result. He's entitled to pursue his legal remedies. Um, but, uh, but I think in all likelihood, uh, it, it's, it's pretty clear that, uh, that, that, he, that uh, uh, Joe Biden will become the next president. Notice he never had these kind of words for Democrats over Russia collusion. Mitt Romney was, was real quiet about that, but he's happy to, happy to take shots at our side. Um, maybe Trump thought there was fraud in the election because Democrats made sure that it was really easy before the election for there to be fraud. Mitt, you ever think of that? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get one of my friends in the mix here, Dave Reboy. He is a national security and political analyst, man who knows a lot about a lot of things. Dave, good to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks. So how are you feeling about where we are right now in this whole lawsuit recount process? I mean, I know there's this unbelievable push to get people to abandon it. They're really just trying to peel off Trump supporters. And I just keep trying to say to everybody, let's let's stay in this until we have judges ruling and we see some evidence and we know what's really going on. It, that seems very straightforward to me, but. Clearly, there's an enormous effort to shut that down. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't, I don't particularly see a problem with, um, with, with taking this to, uh, to, to the courts, as you know, as is the president's, uh, you know, and the campaign's legal right to, to do. Um, I have, I mean, I look. If this is the first election, um, if this is the first election in in America with no fraud, as as uh, many in in the media and, and on the left um, are trying to tell us, I would be very, very surprised. Um, I think that, you know, to establish the pattern of fraud, frankly, you have to go back um, either years or months um, to see what the Democrats had been doing for kind of going from state to state, filing lawsuit and, and, and getting rules changed to make it easier to do so. I mean, I don't think, 
I, I think you have to be an unreasonable person today to, uh, to say with a straight face that, um, you know, that we shouldn't have uh, any kind of election security. We shouldn't, um, you know, we shouldn't demand a voter ID when you vote. I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, you need a right. Well, but but doesn't it also it raises suspicion that, you know, it's funny to me because Democrats never really do the well, Republicans commit voter fraud. They don't do the counter accusation, which just from a, you know, that would be an obvious move. But they don't do it because I think they know, man, no one really believes that that voter fraud is, is a Democrat thing. I mean, the culture of the Democrat Party and the and the absolutism that's at the heart of so much progressivism means that they feel justified in playing these kinds of playing these kinds of games and and cheating. When, you know, if you, if you look at the elections where there has been cheating, it's usually in favor of a Democrat. <laughs> so and that's right, established. Right. No, look, look, Republicans like guns. They like voter fraud. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like that. But, but really, um, you know, you go back and you, you establish that Democrats have, have been working to loosen these laws and, and, and to really to, um, to make it possible to commit voter fraud. Like everything that they've done, over, you know, frankly, over the last, let's, let's say over the last several years having to do with the 2020 election has been, get, has been oriented towards making sure that there are that there is as little election security as possible. Well, that's what I was going to say to you. I mean, anyone who's paying attention whenever there's something. And by the way, voter voter ID, the Supreme Court has already ruled that voter ID is a valid state concern. It's not racist and all these things you hear. The Supreme Court already ruled on that in a case in in Indiana that the the Supreme Court took up. Um, But they still will say these things. And at every opportunity, even when. There should be a universal agreement that a voter protection is for the good of the whole system and the process. Democrats always oppose it. Signature match, oppose. Clearing out voter rolls, oppose. ID, oppose. I mean, you go down the list. Right, right. So, so that's so that's the so that's the story. I mean, I I was actually um, uh, I, I was heartened by uh, Rudy Rudy Giuliani's uh, presentation uh, the other day when he kind of walked through this. But what he missed is he missed is that at, at every point, at, you know, at, at every kind of point of alleged voter fraud, that that, um, you know, the ability to do that was was created, was created by by Democrats in, in terms of rule changes or law changes or or things like that, you know, especially in places like Pennsylvania. Um, so so that's that's very much part of the story that I think it's getting that it's it's sort of. Um, it's sort of being being forgotten, um, but yeah, I mean, look, we, we can't live in a we can't live in a country. We can't have any social cohesion whatsoever if um, a, a significant um, chunk of our citizens believe that no matter who they vote for, uh, the results are fixed. Um, I know what you know. I know what what that's like. My family knows what that's like, um, and and you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know what it's like to live in a country where, you know, oh, it doesn't matter who you vote for because they're going to fix it anyway. Yeah. And um, we're, we're speaking to David Reboy, political commentator, national security analyst here. David, uh, you know, the, another thing that that's come up, though, Tucker on his show last night talked about Sidney Powell. And he said that, you know, they invited her on the show. She won't come on the show. She ha- I should say she has not yet come on the show. And they wanted her to just give them some of the evidence. And she keeps uh, or my understanding is as of this morning, 
she said, well, there is an affidavit that, that she shared with them, you know, a sworn affidavit. But I, wh- what do you think? Because I'm seeing a lot of, for the first time now, it feels a little bit like there's a circular firing squad that's happening here on the right where we're going after each other on this when we really should be going after the truth. I don't think there's anything wrong with Tucker asking somebody who's in part of this national conversation to say, show us your evidence. I also think that somebody else, you know, in this case, Sidney Powell has the right to say, look, I'm really busy doing a lot of things trying to bring these legal challenges. But, you know, we, we, it, it seems like people are picking sides on this when I don't understand why I don't I don't see what the sides are to pick. Look, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think um, at the end of the day, I think Tucker had the better argument here between uh, between the two, because uh, I mean, look, Sidney Powell is is an adult and she's a great lawyer and she, you know, she is under no obligation to answer questions that will give away the game, right? So if, if Tucker will ask a question and she'll uh, that will, you know, that will, um, you know, put the legal case in jeopardy, she can say that. She can say, you know what, I, I know the answer to that, but, you know, because, uh, you know, because um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to answer. Yeah, she doesn't want to show her cards jeopardy. at this stage, right, sure. Right. So, so, so on that uh, <laughs> So I don't understand why she wouldn't go on because it's like, would you rather have the exposure of being on, on a widely watched um, uh, TV show or not have it? Or instead, have Tucker say things, you know, say things that are undercutting your case. So I think it could have been really easy for her to go on, spend three minutes or five minutes saying, look, this is what I think happened over the course of, you know, she could have said the same thing that she said, frankly, at the press conference. And 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 we would have been totally fine. What did you think? I, I got to ask you, this, David. What did you think of the press conference? Look, I thought it was I thought it was very compelling. I you know I see some friends and colleagues, you know, especially on the right. I know the media. You know, the media is going to do what they're going to do. Um, but but some folks, I mean, National Review and some of these other kind of establishment conservative place uh, places, they went completely nuts about this. And they they I, I don't know what press conference they were watching i thought for example that that rudy's case was pretty compelling um in terms of in terms of a public performance you know uh, some people are you know some people um on the right are saying yes yes this is only you know the, the the real show is in the courts yes the real show is in the courts but it's also in the court of public opinion so you they're in the position where they have to do both they have to manage both um very well so they have to keep the public um, informed enough to bear with them until the legal stuff goes through. And then they have to then in court make, um, you know, make that case very compelling in, in a legal way. So they're really walking a um, uh, they're really walking a tightrope. I thought the press conference was was good, especially Rudy's portion where he just kind of outlined this is how it happens. And and frankly, for anyone who's been following politics for you know for for years or decades like yeah that's exactly how it happens you know um there are there are are there are a lot of questions here about um about fraud that i think are 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 legitimate now on the other hand too as you see some stuff bubbling up online um and uh you know there's there's a, a a a conspiracy theory about some weird software called uh scorecard and hammer that um, that is is kind of complete nonsense, and it's dispiriting to see people who have good reputations who are buying into it. 
Um, yeah, if, if someone's going to say that votes were changed by a software, I, I need I need like real proof <laughs> right before I'm, right, right, I, I right. need something. I'm like, oh, OK, that's real. I'm not taking that on faith from anybody. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what, what is kind of dispiriting to me is that, you know, kind of has me shaking my head all day is that really on both sides of the political spectrum, you have a lot of folks who have kind of forgotten or forgotten how to weigh evidence. You know, so if if I if I uh, yeah, it's all about I, the political fight. It's all it's all about who wins at the end of it. It's not about how we get there. And I think that's particularly troubling. But David, right. we'll have you back to see where we are on this, and uh, hopefully things. Hopefully, we just get to resolution and and answers. That I just want a resolution with answers, and I can handle that. And I know you feel the same way. Follow David uh, David Reboy here, folks, uh, on on social media wherever you can. And David, really appreciate you joining, man. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I know we talk about how journos are the worst on here a fair amount, but it's it's important. It's important that you recognize that the uh, journalistic establishment in this country has completely betrayed its mission and, and cannot be trusted and does not deserve either your trust or your respect. I think you need to know that. And I really I've worked with them around them. I've been I've worked at CNN. I mean, I've I know how this stuff goes. They are absolutely in the tank, not just for the Democrat Party, but for the destruction of their own profession as a means of advancing Democrat goals. It do, There's there's. There's no sense that they have of something being too shameful for their profession as long as it helps the Democrats. And this is why you get these these kind of grandstanding moments. Part of me is almost saddened by it because I I wish we had people who were just dogged guardians of the truth and really just wanted to get the facts and get the answers that people need and present them as information, not as editorial, disguised as information. I, I really wish that that existed. It doesn't exist. But here is kind of a funny moment where in the West Wing, you know, in in the act in the place where they hold the press conferences in the West Wing of the White House, uh, you have this kind of a scene break out when they try to when the administration tries to make a straightforward statement about what's going on with COVID. Play clip one. Thank you. Why are you undermining democracy? Why are you under? Why? Why? <laughs> it's like good. These are adults. These are people who work in information collection and distribution. They're supposed to be pros. Why are you undermining democracy? Why are you undermining everything that's good in the world? Why are you committing treason against humanity? Oh, my God. Get a grip, people. What is going on with these journos? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is this is how this is how they are. So that's the way they approach Trump administration officials. This this is how they talk uh, to Biden. You know, they're going to. 
the treatment that you saw for Obama for eight years, you're going to see that degree of being a toady, being an obsequious little throne shiner for Biden. Their hearts aren't in it the same way, but they know that's the, the journos know that's what they have to do now. So just get ready for that. I know it'll be a little bit of a surprise because, come on, Joe Biden, who really thinks this guy? Come on. Right. But they loved Obama. They really did. The journos were in love with Obama. It was irrational. It was there was this uh, this exhilaration that they had every day knowing that Barack Obama was president because, you know, the journos share this kind of leftist, progressive, utopian ideology. And they thought, oh, Obama is going to make the world perfect. Uh, which was it's sort of sad. It's funny, sad and a little scary all at the same time. Uh, but they're going to do similar things for Joe Biden. And, and an example here is the way that they will um, toss questions to him that are just an opportunity for him to spew back his own talking points at the journos who are going to be the eager little scribes of whatever the Democrat narrative may be. Uh, play 18. You have said that lives could be lost if you don't start getting briefings from the Trump administration. And now here we are, more than 250,000 lives could be lost. Given that, how do you justify not taking legal action to get the briefings that you say are critical, that you say you need? It would take a lot of time. It would take time. It's not going to speed it up considerably, in my view. And in the meantime, uh, I... uh, I am hopeful that I'm going to be able to get cooperation from my Republican colleagues in the Senate and the House, as well as on the governors, to build a consensus as to how we proceed when we do. But why not use every tool in your toolbox to get the information that you say you need to do your job and to do it effectively on day one? I'm making a judgment based on many years of experience and how to get things done with the opposition. Why won't you sue the Trump administration to get the briefings. Notice that going to the courts, going to the courts in this way uh, is completely fine within the process. And it is fine with it. If he wants to do that, go for it. Right. But you don't get what you want you know, from a from a political party or from the or from the president's office. Go sue him right away. The journos jump right to that. But Trump having a legal team that's suing over vote counts and that that is a terrible threat to democracy. So trying to use the courts to demand access to classified information when you're not even yet the president elect, totally cool. But suing to make sure that we know how many votes were counted that shouldn't have been counted and all the rest of that, that is basically tyranny and the country's falling apart because of it. And oh, my God, we're all going to die. Right. That's that's the way the journos set all this stuff up. They're just dishonest, folks. There's no there's no effort whatsoever to present information in a way that does not benefit their side. And the more you embrace that conclusion, the more you, you keep that in the back of your mind as you read news, as you consume news, the more the better informed you'll be always. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yelling with his friends, that's okay. Look, he is phonier than a vegan at a steakhouse, and he just proved it, and that video just undid him. But, but there's a fix to all this, whether it's Lori Lightfoot or Newsom or the mayor of D.C. A simple fix. 
if you're a government official and you shut other people's businesses down, you don't get paid. Because if they lose their paycheck and you're the one responsible, you don't get your paycheck. Let's see how that goes. I'm not being facetious about it. Uh, There's no skin in the game of these government officials. They're making uh, big decisions about the peasants like us who have to live by the rules, but they don't live by them and they have no consequence. They don't lose a dime of their salary. They get taxpayer money and it never goes away. Let that go away. Let them suffer some consequences financially. You're going to see this change. I want you to remember all that. First of all, I I think that Mike Huckabee's kind of corny dad jokes, (laughs) you know, he leads into it, man. He he owns it. I'll say that about him. He doesn't back off it at all. So I I'm I'm fine with it. You know what I mean? Because because he owns it. Because he goes with. I can't even do a good impersonation of a corny Mike Huckabee joke because it's a whole next level. But he's really good at them. And I will say this too, just as an aside. I had friends who used to work on Mike Huckabee's show at Fox News, and they always said he he is a super nice guy. And and this business. I really respect that. He treated his staff very well. Uh, you'd be surprised. Some of the I don't think that's surprising to you at all. I think Mike Huckabee comes across as a really nice guy. But you'd be surprised some of the folks who really aren't what they present as on TV, including some of them on our side. But Mike is one of the good ones. He's a good dude. Uh, and, and I do find his jokes sometimes. I, I don't laugh at them, but I'm still, I'm still uh, amused by them. But on the important point here, the hypocrisy that you've seen on display, I can tell you this right now. Many of the loudest voices, we're going into Thanksgiving week next week, and many of the loudest voices that you will hear, many of the people out there who will be the first ones to say, how dare you, uh, how dare you gather with more than, is it six people? Is it 10 people? Remember, there's no basis for this other than, what politicians on a whim decide, right? There's, there's no science that says six people is safe, eight people is dangerous, or ten people is dangerous, but five people is safe. That, that's not how it works. All of this is about personal risk tolerance, risk mitigation, and understanding that there's, there's no perfect safety. And I just would much rather live in a country. I'd much rather live in a world where I'm in charge of my safety to the greatest degree possible when it comes to things like this, my, my personal health, instead of thinking that government bureaucrats give a crap because they do not, and they keep showing you that. Look at some of the primary lockdown advocates in politics. I mean, really think about this for a moment. Cuomo, Newsom, Lightfoot, you know, the mayor of Chicago, uh, you know, Governor Whitmer, Pelosi, Feinstein, every single person I've named there, oh, 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 de Blasio in New York, every single person who is out in front demanding lockdowns, who's out in front demanding that you obey or else, they've all been shown to be big frauds. They've all been shown to be phonies. So what I want to tell you as you're preparing now, I know it's not until next week that we have Thanksgiving, but what I want to tell you as we're getting ready for it, is that those same people, they you, you can you can be assured of this. On Monday and Tuesday, they will be telling you to be scared and not to gather. And then on Thursday, they're going to do whatever the heck they want 
in their own homes away from the cameras. I, I assure you of that. This is part of the of the disease of the mind that is liberalism today. They can always separate out their preference for policy from individual action. Right. What they want all of you to do is one thing. What they want to do themselves is another. And they don't see that as a disconnect. They think that they should be allowed. They're special. They're important. And they still should advocate for all the good policies for everyone else. So, you know, they they can sit there. And if we're going to you know use a, a metaphor here, they can sit and eat that pint of ice cream every night. But they want to tell everybody else that they have to not that they should. They have to eat healthy. So they take the pint of ice cream out of your hands and they feel good about themselves in the process. This is a this is common for collectivists. In fact, this is one of the appeals of being a leftist is that because of your public promotion of of certain policies and certain ideas because of the way that you advocate for things that you think in the aggregate will be better for everybody it excuses you you know an example of this from history would be the period of i mean those of you who are who are interested in catholic church history uh you talk about the indulgences right well what is an indulgence and if you go back you learn about them you find that it's a way to reduce your punishment after you die, a way to reduce your time in uh, purgatory. And it often involved making a donation, right? So you would be punished for your sins in the afterlife. But if you wrote a check, you'd be, and, and by the way, it wasn't a check. I know it would have been actual, it would have been, they weren't operating with banks the way that we do, but they would have, you know, if you made a, a donation of land or a donation of, you know, gold coins or whatever. Um, but when the, with the onset of the idea of purgatory in the 11th and 12th centuries, that purgatory was this in-between place where you would have to suffer for your sins. And then eventually, and, and everyone was going to go to purgatory because no, unless you were a saint, unless you were perfect, unless you were Jesus himself, so they would have you d- give money. Uh, so there was the plenary indulgence and then there was a partial indulgence, right? So if you got a plenary indulgence, that meant you went straight to heaven. And a partial indulgence meant, well, you're spending a little less time in purgatory, but you still got to suffer a little bit for your sins in this life before you can go to heaven. Now, this was all meant to help people get to eternal salvation. In some ways, at least by church doctrine at the time, in some ways, uh, it's perhaps best known because of its usage during the Crusades, which, as you know, is one of my favorite historical period i I find the whole period of the crusades and much of what i talk about on this show in in our shields high and history podcasts uh with lepanto which is coming out soon malta with the siege of constantinople in 1453 even the real dracula which we just did uh, much of that is very much an extension of the crusades it's just a continuation of that period. We think of Jerusalem and people think of Richard the Lionheart and they'll think the first, the second, the third crusade. But that whole period really extends and ends around the time of the Renaissance or, or you know, really in the in the mid to late Renaissance. There's still crusading going on in one form or another. Um, but anyway, that's that's the leftist mentality on display, that if you support the right policies, it's the equivalent of in the medieval church dropping a few gold coins in the collection plate so you spend who knows how much less time in purgatory 
So they're comfortable with it. I, I'm telling you about this just because I think, oh, and, and as we know, it also led one of one of the primary reasons for the Reformation and Martin Luther, Protestant, uh, the Protestant schism uh, was because indulgences became so corrupt. Well, it, it actually corrupts. It actually corrupts liberalism, too, to have this mentality. Uh, and they're not really liberals, as you know. They're leftists. They are, uh, they're collectivists. They're, we, don't, we need better terms for the left. I will say that. I and mean, the left works as a broad, as a sweeping. But uh, we, we should come up with something more. I think progressive, in many ways, is the most useful because that is their, their goal is just incrementalism to, toward the goals of the left all the time. I mean, that, that's the strategy. It is an incrementalist. It's really an incrementalist totalitarianism. I mean, talk to any Democrat you know, and you ask them what they want this country to look like in 50 years, and it's some kind of a utopia. But to get to that utopia, it has to be totalitarian in scope, right? A, a place without, uh, think of the John Lennon song, you know, imagine all the people, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, imagine a society where everyone has everything they need, everything they want. There's no violence. We're all equal. We all have equity. But that utopian vision is only achievable by the elimination of freedom and individual choice. But in the meantime, you got a lot of libs back to my initial premise here that will be telling you that for Thanksgiving, uh, you should be doing the following. And I can assure you, it's a guarantee that they will not be doing the same thing. Not all of them, but a good number of them will say you can't gather more than six people, or you have to wear masks indoors in your own home, they're not going to do it. You know, I live in a place in New York City where there's mask and social distancing hysteria. I mean, they do. There's, there's little places in the elevator where your feet are supposed to go as if that's going to help the social distancing. That's going to save you from getting the virus. You know, you were standing four feet, seven inches from somebody, and then if you stand on the little places where your feet are supposed to go in the elevator... You're going to be standing six feet away. Oh, six feet away. Then you're going to be safe. And, and you know this. And, and, and I understand there's a lot of pressure to attack people who say these things. But the six feet rule is entirely arbitrary. There's nothing about this six feet rule that is scientifically based. They just said, what's a good amount of distance? Let's go with six feet. In my gym where I work out, which I know any day now they're going to shut it down and I'm just going to go back to, you know, eating mac and cheese and, and gluten free cookie dough all the time. I know that's that's what's going to happen this winter. It's going to be job of the buck all over again. I've just started to turn it around. The gym has been working. I've been getting stronger, fitting better into my clothing. Everything's been going the right direction. They're going to shut down the gym. So I've got no social interaction, no gym, no re no places to go and be around other people. Really hard to not just. Netflix and nap and eat too much when that's the situation, as we all know. So I'm, I'm just telling you the uh, the oh, the uh, mask mania in my building. I see people all the time who I know are the Karens who complain about this. And, and if anyone's mask drops down in front of them, they go and they cry to management right away and everything else. But I've seen them without masks on. So this is a constant thing. This is all throughout the leftist mentality People become addicted to the virtue signaling. And a part of that then is that they they have a blindness to their own hypocrisy and to their own disregard of these rules. And as long as that is so widespread among liberals, as long as that is um, something that you're going to find among millions and millions of Democrats, 
we won't reach a point of sanity where we can all say enough is enough. We're not doing this nonsense anymore. That's the big challenge. That's the big problem as I see it. So the hypocrisy point, yeah, it's fun to dunk on libs like Gavin Newsom for being such big hypocrites. And even if it means we get to hear a fun, you know, old grandpa joke from governor or former governor Mike Huckabee. I don't think that people should be called their titles, their government titles when they no longer have them. I know some think I'm I'm off on this one, but I feel very strongly about it. Anyway, Mike Huckabee, I like uh, I like that he's calling this out because it is a big problem. And it's the reason why these stupid rules persist, because the people that want to enforce the stupid rules on you are the ones the ones most interested in enforcing them against you are the first ones who break them behind closed doors and don't care. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And they want to call the Green New Deal socialism. And you know what our answer is? What do you call 100 years of tax breaks? for the oil and the gas and the coal industry. And what we're saying is, give us the same breaks for wind and solar and all electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids and battery storage technologies, and we will bury the fossil fuel industry. That is what this fight is all about. Bury the fossil fuel industry. That's a senator, Markey. That's a senator who's saying bury the fossil fuel industry. I'm just I just want to point this out as we get ready for the possibility of greater Democrat control in government. The possibility. Don't yell at me. Uh, but. Anybody who tells you they want to bury the fossil fuel industry is a moron. Really, it's not possible to be intelligent or to know anything about the fossil fuel industry and think that it's the enemy. As I've told you on this show countless times, but it, it bears repeating, we are naturally because of the efficiency of the technologies that we have, always decarbonizing in our fuel, uh, our fuel sources. You can look from the beginning. We were using you know, wood and then coal, and people would even say whale oil for a while, but that was a relatively limited period of time for not a whole lot of industry. But with the Industrial Revolution, we went from coal, and then we went to gas, and then we went to natural gas. And now you know, we're, we're on the way. We're doing all these things. We're making these moves that are going to be uh, less less polluting, less carbon intensive. It's already happening. But the left treats fossil fuels like the enemy. There's a reason why until recently Exxon Mobil was pretty much the most valuable company on the planet. We don't have a modern economy. We don't have a modern world without fossil fuel. They, they just don't seem to understand that. There's this idiotic zealotry around this where the facts, the reality does not seem to matter to them they simply don't care it's more fun to just talk about this and, and then you even get stuff like this where the climate is now an issue of justice as if there's a social justice element to climate change which is also i mean i'm actually trying to follow this and i'm wondering what here's aoc though the grand strategist of the green new deal talking about climate justice and Reproductive justice. Play 14. It represents the power of indigenous communities organizing, the power of young people organizing, the power of the movement for black lives organizing, showing that climate is intersectional with every one of our needs and demands. It is tied to the treaty rights and liberties of indigenous people in the United States of America. 
Climate action is tied to reproductive justice because we can't talk about poison water without talking about how so many people across their country, across this country, are denied the right to build a biological family because they've been poisoned by their own water. What? I I I mean, I honestly sometimes AOC speaks. First of all, there's a lot of a lot of Marxist tells here. You know, the Marxist part of it, and as somebody who finds reading about Soviet totalitarianism and, and Marxism just fascinating. It's like deep diving. Some people watch those shows about psycho killers and getting inside their heads, you know, Mindhunter and that sort of stuff. For me, that's reading biographies of Stalin and understanding the Soviet Revolution and the way the the first the Cheka under the czar and then the then the uh, various iterations. I'm sorry, the Okrana rather under the czar and then the various iterations of the KGB would would operate. I mean, that to me is if you want a, a vision into the darkness of human so- of the human soul, you just have to look at what happens when Marxists actually get their way. But one of the, the tells, one of the ways you always know what's going on with the Marxists is they use this pseudoscientific language to discuss the human condition and political realities. You know, they, they dress it up with slogans. And, and so when you have somebody like AOC who's talking about about the inter, intersectional climate and just throwing the word justice in there a lot, justice in there all the time, uh, they never really think about what the implications of what they're saying will be or they don't understand it. Uh, but they know that if they say certain things, other people who have also been brainwashed with the similar Marxist claptrap will will nod their heads in unison. I mean, th- this is there is a cult like aspect to all Marxist theory, and you see it with someone like an AOC. And it's something you should be wary of, something that is worthy of concern. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. It's time for Roll Call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. I don't know why. The iHeart, when I do the iHeartMedia, I almost sound like the Expedia guy now. You know what I mean? Expedia.com. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? That I mean, they rhyme, so it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You just give them free advertising, too. Maybe yeah, they'll send us a gnome or something. That'd be kind of fun, actually. Mm. We'd have a Freedom Hut gnome. I think I think that'd be cool. What would we name the gnome? <laughs> Obviously, we'd let you name the gnome. Huh. It'd be Producer Mark's gnome. Oh, Produce, of we call it Producer Mark's little helper. Yeah, <laughs> I figured you were just going to call it Producer Mark or something. Mm. Nah, nah. Everyone knows who Producer Mark is. Um, so, what's going on for the weekend for you? Before I get into the roll call, you got anything planned? Do you do you do some of the Thanksgiving cooking? I think I've asked you this, but I forgot. No, I don't do any of it right now. I mean, my my in laws usually host, and they love hosting and cooking, so uh, I let them do it. I just oh, enjoy that's very, it. That's very nice. That's very nice. Um, what? Uh, and you're where are you on turkey versus chicken? I mean, I like turkey. I wouldn't call it my favorite meat, and I prefer dark meat of either chicken or turkey. So my my sense of this is that turkey, there's there's like a there's a tiny zone where if it's really well executed, there's there's the perfect amount of doneness and moistness, and it can be really good if you get there. 
but I have had so many times, especially at buffets and, you know, Thanksgiving buffet, stuff like that, right? When you go to a, an event, I, I've been to events where there was like a Thanksgiving buffet. Dried out turkey is cardboard, man. It's cardboard. Yeah, and it's not hard the, to do. That's why I go for the dark meat because it will never yeah. be dried out. Yeah, the dark meat's the dark meat's the the better the better move. And we already said your favorite side is stuffing, so is mine. So yes, we did have that that lovely team buck member wrote in about green bean casserole. I will say, green bean casserole sounds good, but the more I thought about it, the more it sounds like this is just cream of mushroom soup with some green beans thrown in. It. <laughs> so you know, it's a little bit like saying, uh, "Yes, like Buck, don't you like cauliflower casserole?" I'm like, "What is it?" They're like, "Well, it's mac and cheese with some cauliflower thrown in." It's like, "Well, yeah, that that would be good, actually." I mean, Actually, just, that just make delicious. some green beans and make them delicious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cream of mushroom soup is, is a great thing. One of my go-tos when I was a kid, I used to make, once I learned how to make myself grilled cheese and Campbell's soup, whew, game changer. Game well, yeah, changer. There nothing's was a, there better was a time than grilled when, cheese and tomato soup. I was One of my favorite things in life was, a, was just a grilled cheese with American cheese and tomato soup. This is what happens. I get, I get hungry at this part of the show, so I start thinking about food all the time, but. Just saying. Now that we're adults, guys, though, you, grilled cheese are so much better. Throw some bacon on there, some tomato, oh yeah. better bread. Well, it's very, very important. Everybody, uh, just a pro tip for everybody. One of the most overlooked parts of food that you're going to make for yourself. I'm not talking about fancy stuff, but food you're going to make for yourself, whether you're cooking a burger or, or on the grill or or on the you know on a pan, on a stovetop, uh, certainly true for grilled cheese as well. People forget you need to season the bread. The bread is a part of the whole thing. A lot of people just go, oh, I'm just going to slap my grilled cheese on there. It'll brown up, whatever. Yeah, but, you know, season it with a little little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. I also would say if you've got a little basting brush, a little bit of uh, base, some nice olive oil, because the grilled cheese doesn't need super high heat, so you don't need one of those higher smoke point heats like avocado oil or uh, I use bacon fat whenever I cook red meat. I keep rendered bacon fat, and I use that for red meats, which producer Mark, pro tip, you will that, like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that's a good that's a good move. But yeah, I'm telling you right now. When, so for those of you, if you're going to be doing well, I guess no one's going to be. Well, some parts of the country, they might have cookout stuff for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Our Florida audience is like, Buck, we can do it year round. But uh, I think, you know, if you if you take the bun of the burger, um, you you definitely want to season it and put a little put a little olive oil on it. And think of that as that's part of the dish that you're cooking and not just like, oh, I'm going to slap the bun on at the end. I'm telling you. It's a game. And you can even put a little bit of uh, garlic powder, you know, experiment a little bit with it. But don't let the bread just be the thing that you're holding it with, whether it's a grilled cheese or a burger. You know what I'm saying, Producer Mark? Yeah, I've never heard of seasoning the bread before. That's very interesting. I always like slather it with butter for a grilled cheese. That's that's a version of it, but like a little salt and pepper on your grilled cheese um, beforehand, I think really really uh spices it up a little bit and makes it makes it better and you know and then people realize wait i can also put you know other things that like i said garlic powder is a good move um anyway that's that's my little advice for all of you because when i make burgers uh because i have to use gluten-free buns which taste like cardboard always they're horrible i've i learned to do this and then i realized well when i make normal burgers for other people you know for normal human beings that can digest normal food unlike me uh I'll make them the I'll make them the bun with this kind of extra care. So if nothing else, you take this from today's show, season your bun, salt, pepper, a little bit of oil, a little bit of butter, season your bun. 
That should be. I could write a book. Season your bun, and then uh, like life lessons from the Freedom. Yeah, Hunt, you know. <laughs> Season your bun by Buck Sexton. <laughs> I see no problem with that title. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, just think of the artwork alone. Oh, we could have so much fun uh, with this one. <laughs> yeah, we went there. I know. Family show. It's a family show. All right. Here we go. Todd, next up here. Uh, first up here. Hey, Buck. I'm a major fan of the best hair in political news, and I've been a daily listener for a long time. Producer Mark, you have fantastic taste in music. Now, I what do you like in music? What 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 brought this on? What have we? I probably talked some smack about about what was it? Billy Joel and you and you you body slammed me for that one. Is that probably right? something like that? I always say I like Coldplay and the Chili Peppers. Maybe he. Likes I respect that. your Coldplay move. It, I know that it would be fun. The same way that people love the trash Creed. Some people will trash Coldplay, and I'm like Creed was great in its day. I don't care what anybody says. Right. Well, that's I, ever since true. I saw Coldplay live, it, you know. It's like they bur- it's like they pulled me out of a burning building. Like I-, I can't say anything bad about them. They were so good live. It's like you can't talk smack. I'm glad you're a believer now. Yeah, no, totally. I'm a no. I try to do a believer thing, but that's too cold play. Wouldn't, wouldn't you're not a believer? Work. Is he still doing music, or isn't? Didn't he start his own church or something? A church of Justin Bieber? Why? Yeah, or like, isn't he? Is he really into some church where they? I don't know. I'm just saying it. I feel like Justin Bieber. I, I don't keep up. I don't see what's going on. I don't keep I up with celebrity stuff either. I know he's got a lot of tattoos that because whenever I try to do news searches, sometimes it'll be the, you know, Justin Bieber is like the what do you call it? Um, the tabloid thing that will show. I think the Daily Mail, which is a UK based paper, is a great uh, is a great news site. They just have a lot of like and here's a celebrity in a bikini, which, of course, producer Mark, I immediately avert my eyes because I'm focused on the news. Of course, and you don't want Snow Princess finding anything out. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't be staring at those Kim Kardashian bikini photos that they have on that site pretty much every day. <laughs> like, you really, like, I go there, look at it, it's like, oh, they've got the Dr. Fauci story talking about the lockdown, and then it's like, and here are Kim Kardashian. No, and I, I, I blocked that, that out. That must by the way. be what pays the bills. Yeah. Oh, the first, I'm sure those get a ton of clicks. Um, now, I know not much can be done at this point, Todd writes, but why aren't people talking more about the Trump votes that were discarded, destroyed, not just the illegitimate cast and created Biden votes, but the genuine Trump votes that are no longer around to be counted? There are tons of videos of people burning, dumping and trashing Trump votes, but that's not talked about very much, if at all. Why isn't this a bigger talking point about the election being stolen? Well, Todd, we, we'd have to see uh, how many votes have been either trashed or lost or stolen. You know, that's a big part of this. You need to have enough votes that it would change the outcome. You know, this is, for example, what I would say what I was saying all along about the Russia collusion delusion. They would say, well, they they did something on Facebook. And because they did something on Facebook, uh, we all should think that that changed the course of the election, right? This is what the libs said about Trump winning against Hillary in 2016. And I was sitting here, remember, I, I used to use this, uh, this, uh, this metaphor of it's like you would pour, if I pour a cup of hot water in a swimming pool, you could say that I've, I've made a change in the temperature, but it's not measurable, right? I mean, at some level, at some level of sort of micro temperature, yeah, for a second, there would have been a different, but I didn't really change... And that's what they did with the Facebook ads with Russia collusion. 
a similar idea at some level applies here. Now, I think it's much more substantial when you're talking about the discarded Trump votes, but it needs to be enough that it would actually change the temperature of the pool, if that makes sense. And I I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get there. I just I don't I don't know if we're going to get there, but where we should try, we should find out. We should absolutely know. I mean, there's a reason why it's worth looking into all this. As I've been saying, if we can go through the absurd three year long special counsel Russia collusion garbage with what that did to the administration, with all the man hours, the tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars uh, spent on that. And we can go through that. We can spend a month finding out what really happened in this election. That's that's fine. And there's really no counter argument to it other than why do you support Trump? He's Hitler. Trump is not Hitler. Randy. Hey, Buck Shields. Hi. So I want your opinion on this. My dad graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, served in World War II. I also graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy and served eight years in the fleet. Despite all of that patriotic upbringing and background in my life, seeing the corruption and voter fraud in this election, there's no way that I'd risk my life for a country that was such a fraud. Nor would I ask a young person that it make such a sacrifice. You served in the CIA. If you were young again after an election like this, would you join the CIA again? In their lust for power, I don't think the Democrats understand the depth of the damage they're doing to this country. You can't have a volunteer military unless you have volunteers. And when I said that in their lust for power, the Democrats don't understand the depth of the damage they're doing to this country. The sad truth is they don't care. All they want is power. Everything else be damned. So again, after this election, would the young Buck Sexton join the CIA? Uh, Randy, I joined the CIA very very clearly for one, per, you know, in response to one thing, and that was the attack on this country on 9-11. I'd never even it never even occurred to me to work in the CIA until that happened. And I knew that that was going to be a largely at least the, the fight against Al Qaeda was going to be largely an intelligence driven operation. I think everybody could tell that right away because it's a small non-state group, small, you know, as opposed to the Chinese military. Right. It's a small non-state group and dispersed all over the world. So uh, I've I've never regretted that decision. Um, I'm pleased that I had the opportunity. I might even say proud that I had the opportunity to do some very small part to try to track down and and uh, defeat Al Qaeda operatives in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. And as for whether I would still do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I still love this country. I think it's the greatest country in the world. I know we're having a tough time right now, and I understand that people might feel like the election has shaken their confidence in our system in a way that's, well, it's tough to shake off. Uh, But first of all, we have to continue to fight for this country because there's no better place. There's nowhere else to go. And America will endure. We've been through two world wars we've been through a civil war we've been through i'm just going to be honest with you and i know this isn't this isn't going to get all the listens and the clicks and there are other people out there that are you know screaming into their microphones every day and talking about you know tyranny and everything else all the time not about the covid tyranny the tyranny of you know the the libs or whatever uh we're going to be okay we're going to get through this there are better days ahead there are victories there are um, there are moments of real pride in this country that that lay ahead. And I think just just take a deep breath and know that you're still in the greatest, freest, most powerful, most 
uh, worthwhile nation state experiment in the history of, in the history of this planet, which is a pretty special thing. So I, I hope that brings you some comfort this weekend, knowing that that's all still true. So, Randy, I understand your frustration with what's going on right now. But yes, in fact, I'd go into the CIA. And to this day, I, I still wish I'd gone to them. If I had known what it was going to be, uh, what it was going to be like to be alongside our military instead of within the military, I, I wish I had served in that capacity instead, if I could go back in time. So I think that tells you tells you a lot. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. More roll call to kick us off for the weekend. Just remember, friends, uh, you can go to BuckSexton.com for news updates. And also, this weekend is a great opportunity to pass the buck, to share this show with a friend, tell people about the Buck Sexton Show. Please do. It's on the iHeart app. It's on Spotify. Uh, the more you spread the word about this, the more we grow. And that is how the show grows. And we really, really appreciate it. It's the single biggest. The, the two things you can do if you appreciate the work that we put in here every day are to tell somebody about the show. And I don't, I don't just mean mention to them. I mean, share a link to listen to the podcast with them and, and also check out our, our excellent sponsors. We've got so many great sponsors on this show. I, I use all the products that I say I use from these sponsors daily. I'm using them all the time. And they're, it's just it's a great relationship. And I really hope you will check out our sponsors that I that I give uh, shout outs to with our live reads throughout the show. Um, let's see here. Uh, Maureen. Hey, Buck and producer Mark, with all that's going on in the past four point five years, four and a half years of evil perpetrated against uh, Trump. And now with egregious corruption and fraud in our elections, at what point is this finally going to be called for what it is? Outright treason. That word seems to be scrupulously avoided by everyone in all media. Isn't all of this actually treason? Thanks for all you do for both of us. Uh, or thanks for all you both do for all of us. Um, Maureen, thanks for writing in. Treason is a pretty specific term. And, uh, you know, treason would involve. Well, if you're talking about it from a statutory standpoint, it would involve assisting a, a, an enemy military in a time of war. Um, as for uh, getting to that point, I mean, who, who are we going to really hold accountable for this? We, we need individuals that engaged in the treason or rather engaged in the voter fraud, if we're going to use the proper terminology. And who did it? I'm waiting to hear who did it. We need more information. We need more data. And we also have to be we have to be sure because we have to be right. Uh, unlike the other side, we're not just trying to use all of this as a weapon, as a thumb in their eye. We're not just trying to spite them. I actually want to know. I think the truth does matter about this election and we have to get there and we're not there yet. So that's the best answer I could give you at this point, Maureen. Hey, everybody, have a great weekend. We'll be with you next week, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Until next time. Shields high.